We're taking you from sideline to sideline and everything in between. It's your one-stop shop for all things football. Join me, Aaron Mukes, every Wednesday and Friday for fresh takes, breaking news, fantasy gold, and more. College and NFL, we got you covered. This is Sideline to Sideline, the podcast. All is spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... Here comes the rush, and here's the hit. Second down attempt. Oh, what a hit. You can't do that. The quarterback, you can't fight. The 40, the guy is drunk, but there he goes. The 20, they're chasing him. They're not going to get him. Waving his arms. Bear tested. Somebody stop that man. Ladies and gentlemen, now your host, Mr. Aaron Mukes, and his co-host, Akeem. This is your one-stop shop for all college and NFL football. Here is Sideline to Sideline. We are back. Welcome in to Sideline to Sideline, the podcast. I am your host, Aaron Mukes. It's Friday. Everybody's ready for the weekend. Let's get it started. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get into week seven. Let's go. Sideline to sideline. Let's rock. All right, man. Let's start it off with this. We we talked about this on the fantasy episode. Le'Veon Bell. Uh, Andy Reid is quoted as saying, we're going to work him in slowly. Depends on how much he can pick up uh, as far as playing time. I'll just say this. I'm excited to see what Andy Reid is going to do with Le'Veon. But I'm, from a fantasy perspective, I think it's going to be relevant. But from a football perspective, I don't want nothing to do with this dude. I think Le'Veon Bell is a punk. And I'm going to say it flat out. I think what he did was a punk move. Uh, He cried to get out of Pittsburgh. He sat out a whole season. He goes and he's talking about he wants to get paid. The Jets pay him to be the guy. He he does absolutely nothing for them. I I don't want to hear Adam Gase. I mean, I've been just as critical of Adam Gase as anybody. You chose to go there. You chose to go to New York. You don't want to play. It seems like you don't want to play football. And to me, I have no respect for dudes like that who get their money, gets paid $28 million, then just leaves. They just cut them. Like, that's cool. I mean, you're doing your thing. You're making your money. Respect, dude, whatever. But football is more than that to me. And I was surprised. I, let's just say this. I was surprised Kansas city went out and wanted to get him. Um, I, I think, I think it was just a, a punk move. I think it was a punk move. And now he's probably going to get a super bowl ring. And then he's going to be like, yeah, I'm a super bowl champion and I'm Le'Veon bell. And I, you used to be one of the best running backs in football, if not the best now, just a punk, just a punk. To me, it's just a punk move. And, you know, people don't have to agree with it. He don't have to agree with it. You know, whatever his thoughts are, why he's doing what he's doing, I just think that was a punk move. And um, don't get me wrong. The dude is uber talented. (laughs) And he's going to have a a role in that offense. I just would have rather seen him go somewhere, reestablish the type of player he wants to be, and lead a team instead of, just jumping on, you know, a bandwagon of, of a Super Bowl champion. So um, it, that's something you see guys when they're in their 30s do. 
um, who's trying to get a ring at the end of their career. He's, I mean, is he there? Is he, is he at that point? Is that what he's saying? Um, I don't know, man. I just, I just think that was weak. Um, I thought this was interesting, man. Mike Vrabel is, is, is this man Bill Belichick Jr. or what? Is he cut from the same cloth? Uh, there's been a lot of talk on social media about uh, how he took a 12 men on the field penalty on purpose. And for those of you that aren't aware, um, the rules in the NFL, when there's a penalty and it's under a certain amount of time, under five minutes in the fourth quarter, the clock stops. But if it's under two minutes and it's by the defense, then the, they'll start the clock on the, you know, on the referee signal. Um, so then they can still milk the clock down. But if it's outside of two minutes, it, they don't do that. So what happened was, is Houston was going in to score <clears throat> or was in Tennessee's territory. And they were at about the 20 yard line or a little outside the 20 yard line. And so Mike Vrabel sends 12 guys on the field and is telling his team, yeah, yeah. And then he's kind of pointing it out, counting the players and making sure the referees saw that they were counting 12 guys. And the reason for that was it was about three or four minutes left is it stopped the clock. It gave Tennessee a first down, but they were already going in to score anyways. But what it did is it has allowed them. It only allowed them to get one more first down, meaning they couldn't run out the clock. And I mean, you had to watch the, the, the back and forth. Like he played it off. He was acting like he didn't mean to do it. And, I just thought that was classic, and it just goes to show you preparation of of coaching and players means so much in the NFL. How many coaches in the league would do that, number one? Take advantage of a rule. And you could say it's cheating, or that's not cheating. That's You know the rules. You take advantage of the rules, right? It's like pass interference. If a guy beats you deep and you know he's going to score a touchdown, you grab him and pull him down. Why give up the touchdown? So you take advantage of the rule. And it's genius. And then his what even made it better was in the press conference when they asked him about it. Like, hey, um, I think the reporter said, hey, was that on purpose? Did you, you know, were you trying to get the penalty? And and all Mike Vrabel said was, you know, we, we had a lot of penalties. We need to clean that up. And he just dodged the question altogether. He didn't say he did. He didn't say he didn't. Because everybody knew he did, but he's not gonna he does not gonna say that. He's not gonna call it out so then the league can go look at the rules and adjust them and not let him do that anymore. He's gonna take advantage of that. And that's the difference between good and great coaches. I don't care what anybody says. The Tennessee Titans are not a great football team. They are a good football team with great coaching. That is why they're undefeated. That is why they were in the AFC championship game last year. Coaching in football matters more so than any other sport. And you're seeing it, you're seeing it like live in 2020. Everybody talks about the Dallas Cowboys and how much talent they had. They can't, they look atrocious coaching. Um, then you look at Tennessee. They're still finding ways to win. Coaching. Pittsburgh, who all they did was add old Big Ben back. Coaching matters. I mean, Mike Tomlin went eight and eight. Nine and seven with a team without his quarterback. With Mason Rudolph, coaching matters. Pete Carroll has one of the worst defenses in the league right now. Without their best player in Jamal Adams. Coaching matters. So understanding that these coaches like Mike Vrabel, I have mad respect for, for Vrabel, and he's one of the few 
Bill Belichick disciples that has been able to duplicate or um, I don't want to say duplicate because he hasn't won yet, but somewhat been able to imitate what Belichick's doing with the discipline and structure and organization and his ability to just manipulate rules and and just build a winner. I mean, he's doing it with Ryan Tannehill, which we'll get into uh, a little bit later, by the way. I got a lot to say about Tannehill. Um, Rumbles in Dallas. Reports are that anonymous, the, the whole great anonymous quote, players are unhappy and criticizing, unhappy and criticizing the coaches, saying they're unprepared, they don't make in-game adjustments, and they're, quote, not very good at their job. Uh, I got a little bit of mixed feelings about this. They're not wrong. We look unprepared. We are not making in-game adjustments. And they haven't been very good at their job, mainly on the defensive side of the football. But I have a big problem with players speaking out, quote, anonymously. I I think that's a coward. I'm just going to say, I think that's a bitch-ass move. That's a coward, bitch-ass move. Like, you're a grown man. Uh, let me let me give an, let me give an example. For most people that listen to this show, they all know I worked for the state of California for about twelve years. I was in management. We had there's a dynamic where people, your employees, talk to each other. Oh, this person's this way. Oh, this and it's this rumor mill that goes on. And I mean, pretty much any company, any business ever, right? as a manager, as a leader, right? My philosophy or what I've instilled in my employees is, hey, if there's ever an issue, come say it directly to to me, right? Especially when you're talking about management. Don't go, what happens when you go to other employees or you go to other agencies or you go to other teams or, and you start talking, it creates this, not only tension that you already have in your own locker room or your own building, But now outsiders are looking at you like, man, that's dysfunctional. That's dysfunctional. And there might be dysfunction, but some of that level of dysfunction can be mitigated by communicating. We, we, one of the biggest issues we have in business in this, in this world is communication, whether it's business relationships, uh, friendships, uh, whatever it is. Teams, organizations is communication. Being able to openly discuss uh, critical critical things or touchy situations or topics that are, are uncomfortable is, is a big problem in this world. So as a leader, Mike McCarthy has to instill that in his team. Like, hey, if there's a problem, come and talk to me. If you got something to say and it sounds like, I don't know this to be true, but it sounds like that's what he said. In his conference, he said, hey, this is, we, we as men need to talk to the source about it. Well, the players that decide to go talk to the media, if you're going to talk to the media that way, number one, I would expect you, you've already had that conversation with your employer or your manager. Number two, that you're not doing it anonymously because that is, means you're hiding behind something. You don't want to be known. You don't want to be the one that's looked at as having this complaint. And anybody who has ever worked for me know how I am. If you have an issue, come say something to me. If you have an issue with something that I did, let's talk about it. If you have an issue with something that I do, 
Let's talk about it. Whether I was the employee or the employer, that's my philosophy. So when I see Cowboys players talking about coaches, I don't have a problem with them talking about the coaches. But did you tell that coach that? Did you go to that coach and say, hey, man, you guys aren't adjusting on the fly. Can we do something like what, what's going on here? You guys are unprepared. You're doing this when we should be having meetings or whatever it is. Whatever your beef is, you should be talking to the individual first. <clears throat> and be willing to put your name on it. Own it. If you're not willing to own it, then it's a coward. It's a bitch-ass move. And I'll tell that to anybody that I've ever worked for or who has worked for me. It doesn't change because it's NFL football. Those players who are on the field, by the way, and yes, we talked about coaching matters, but you're on the field giving up and acting like you don't want to be there. And then you're going to go call out your coach, but you're not going to put your name to it. That's weak. So for those Cowboys players that did that, I expect better. I expect that they'll go to their coaches and say, hey, my bad. I shouldn't have done that. This is the issues that I have. Let's get it fixed. We are grown men. I mean, we are. We talk about raising kids and children to be respectable adults, human beings, adult grown women and grown men. And we can't even communicate and say what's on our mind or we can't say what, what's bothering us or we can't work together and have a dialogue and disagree, but work through it and have a conversation about it. That's what's wrong. And this is going completely off football right now. But that's what's happening in Dallas. It's like a damn soap opera. It's like the state of California. I might as well go back to DMV if I'm going to have to talk about this stuff. Shout out to all my DMV folks, by the way, who listen. I <laughs> appreciate you guys. No, but real talk, man. That, that, everybody knows that's how I am. So seeing this, it, it, it hurt me more as a Cowboy fan to, to hear that people aren't willing to put their names to how they feel. It's always anonymous, and I, I don't like that. So Mike McCarthy, you got some house cleaning to do. Um, just let them know. I mean, you got to just let them know like this. That's going to be not tolerated because if they find out who it is and they're not willing to step up, get rid of them. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Demarcus Lawrence or Ezekiel. I don't, it don't matter. You can't have people like that in your locker room because it's poison. It poisons a company. It poisons an organization. You have to get rid of them. Simple as that. All right. That wasn't even my rant. <laughs> um, I know I got off on a little tangent there, but that was not even my rant. My rant's going to be actual a peaceful kind of rant today. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to talk about something, but I, it's going to come from a place of appreciation. Um, we found out this week that Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Dolphins quarterback, is being benched for Tua Tagovailoa. Tagovailoa, and I want to talk to three different kind of groups here. Number one, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Number two, Dolphins fans. And then number three, all the analysts out there that have been on a certain side of this conversation. And I really feel strongly about this. This ties into uh, some of the things I've been saying over the past couple of weeks with young guys and getting opportunities and things like that. Okay, so Ryan Fitzpatrick has the Dolphins sitting at three and three, second place in their division, and they're headed into a bye week. They've been playing really good football. They just come off a blowout win against the Jets, which, you know. But they also beat the 49ers the week before, who is, you know, last year's Super Bowl representative out of the NFC. They've been playing really, really good football. So they make the announcement, two is going to start after the bye week. 
And there were a number of conversations that were being had after this announcement came out. First, I want to address the <clears throat> the organization. I applaud the organization for having a plan with Tua. Um, you don't see this enough with teams. Um, I, I believe, I, be, I don't know this to be true, but I believe this is their plan all along. Regardless of what their record was, regardless of how well Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing, regardless of everything, if Tua was healthy, that after the bye week, he would be the starting quarterback. I think that decision was made long time ago. And I know kudos to them. Good for them for standing by that decision. Um, and yeah, it, it's tough. It, from the outside looking in, you can look at it from a, a number of different ways. Ryan Fitzpatrick's been playing really well. Okay. Um, they're three and three. They're they're fighting for playoff. Like they they've done a good job. Most teams would not make a quarterback change in that in that situation. But we got we have got to stop looking at right now as the end all be all. We need to start taking this a little bit more into consideration. Number one, to all the Dolphins fans that love Ryan Fitzpatrick, hey, we all do. He's a baller, man. He's been on a number of football teams. He's played in a number of organizations and had impacts a significant impact on a lot of them. But Ryan Fitzpatrick was quoted as saying he was hurt. I don't know if he's joking. I don't know if this quote is true or not. But Ryan Fitzpatrick has been a backup quarterback damn near his entire career. He was never, even when he was starting 16 games a year in Buffalo or, and when he did it with the Jets, he was never looked at. Like They didn't say, that's our future. No team has ever said that. It was always, he was a transition to the next guy. And mind you, he's been in the league for 15, 15 years. Like he's played, he's played for eight, nine different teams. Like he's had a long, illustrious, good career. One of the best backup quarterbacks you could ever find. He's done well for himself. He's never been the guy. So for him to act hurt or say that he was hurt, I kind of think he's joking. But just for those words or those fans that are taking that seriously, like he knew what the situation was. Like they drafted Tua in the first round. They've said all along, he's our future. And you're 37 years old. You're not 24, 25. It's not the Robert Griffin III gets drafted and then they draft Kirk Cousins type of situation. You're 37. You have no future as a starting quarterback in the National Football League because you've never been one. You've always been a transition guy and a, a really good transition guy at that. One of the best backup quarterbacks you could ever have on your team. He could keep the ship afloat. To the fans that like Ryan Fitzpatrick that say he should be still be the starter, we're winning, we have a chance at the playoffs. I don't know what else to say other than who cares? realistically fans have got to look at their team and say, do we have a shot to win the whole thing or not? And if you can look at Ryan Fitzpatrick and that Miami Dolphins team and say, yes, we can make the playoffs. We can make a playoff run and we can win the whole thing. Then God help you. I, I don't know what to tell you. Like you're delusional. Um, so the other side of that is, you know, you're not going to 
make the playoffs, have a deep playoff run, and win the Super Bowl. You say, we have got to prepare ourselves for the future. Tua is healthy. He's got to sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick for six games, learn, get acclimated to the NFL, the offense, how things work to be a professional. You get a bye week, two weeks to prepare for a team, and now you say it's time. If the bye week was week nine, I think you'd see two a week 10. It just so happens their bye week is week seven. So this, this notion that it's a mistake for Tua to be now taking over for Ryan Fitzpatrick because they're three and three and they're second in the division, let it go. You're not going to win the Super Bowl. If you're not going to win the Super Bowl, why not see what the young kid can do? Nick Saban pulled Jalen Hurts in the middle of the national championship game. Does anybody remember that? Like, honest, remember that? Do we remember that? And what did he do? He went on to win the national championship. <laughs> like, sometimes you just have to do what's best for the organization going forward. Not at the moment, but going forward. And yeah, it might be a struggle. He's a rookie. But you have to get him prepared to be that franchise guy. You think Belichick ever worried about what people thought because he benched somebody or cut somebody? I mean, we can, people remember like Jonas Gray. Anybody remember that name? Running back, ran for 200 yards, then fumbled the next game, then got cut. Like, the greats don't care. The greats are going to do what's best for their organization. And what's best for this organization going forward is Tua and finding out if Tua can play in this league. It's it's a shame that it's at the expense of Ryan Fitzpatrick. But let's be honest, Ryan Fitzpatrick is what he is. And for all those people that are like, well, he just came off a game blowing out the Jets. Did you watch the game? I mean, did you actually look and watch the game or did you just see it was the Jets and the score? Because Fitzpatrick didn't play that well. He played okay. I mean, 18 to 27. Threw for 190 yards, three touchdowns, but he threw two picks, bad picks, as as only Ryan Fitzpatrick can do. So just, again, understanding that this is a long-term play. Not enough teams do this. Not enough teams get rid of Adrian Petersons, Right? They want to they hang on to these old guys, Mark Ingrams. They want to hang on to these older veteran players because they have, quote-unquote, experience. And experience is great at certain positions. But at my skill positions, my guys that I need, my receivers, my running back, give me the young guy. Give me the guy that can play. Give me the guy that has all the abilities because we don't know how long those abilities are going to be there, a la Todd Gurley. Or you're going to have arthritis in your knees. Or your career is only going to be three years. You, they don't have time to wait anymore. These rookies need to start right away. This is not 1994. It's a different game. They're different athletes. You don't get the opportunity to pay a guy. Not, I mean, number one, the big, the big problem is here is if you don't start a young quarterback within the first year or so, guess what happens? Now you've cut his window down for your team by, by, by a year. And what do I mean by window? That salary cap, right? 
So there was a reason why Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, um, Russell Wilson, all, all these guys that when they first came in the league, you have to start them. Use the first four years, the first five years where you're not paying them top dollar at quarterback to build your team. Then hopefully you can win in that time frame. If they're, if they're what you think they are, you're probably going to be successful some level within that time frame. And then after that, you have to pay them. Now you're paying a, a quarterback top dollar, 35 million a year. You can't pay that defense alignment. Can't pay that wide receiver. Can't pay that all pro defensive back. And so what happens is now your team starts getting piecemeal together with cheaper guys, veteran guys, because now your franchise quarterback's getting paid. And at that time, now he has to overcome other deficiencies. And hopefully he's had that experience now four or five years of it to be able to do so, like a Russell Wilson, like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Patrick Mahomes will after he got paid. But if you don't play them within the first year or so, you lose a year. And now by the time they're good, two or three years down the road, now they're looking for a contract extension. And heaven forbid you make them wait two years. What do you do if, say, Ryan Fitzpatrick goes 10-6 and this year, makes the playoffs, wins a playoff game? Exciting, right? But you have no chance to win a Super Bowl. Or even if you lose the playoff game. Do you bring him back next year or do you say, nope? Now, now you have people looking at you well, like, we just went to the playoffs with this guy. Now you're, it's the same conversation. And if you do decide to bring him back, now you, guess what? You're in year two of Tua. Two years, he's ready for a contract. You think he's not going to ask for big money? Shh. He's going to ask for big money. He's a quarterback. And if you don't pay him, guess what? Somebody will because he's a quarterback. So now is the time. Find out what you have in him. Do you want to invest in him long-term after four years? Look at Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield came in tearing the league up last year as a rookie. Year two? Uh, Who knows, right? Year three, right? Who knows? Now the Browns have a good assessment of that position and can say, you know what? That's not our future. We don't want to pay him top dollar. If we do pay him, it's going to be at a reduced price. If not, let him walk. If you don't see him, you can't make that assessment. So Dolphins fans, just be happy, man. Tua, you know, I'm not the biggest Tua guy, but I think it's because he's left-handed. <laughs> I mean, just being honest, I think I think I got something against left-handed quarterbacks. I never liked Mark Brunell. Never liked like uh, never liked um, Steve Young. Just something about left-handed quarterbacks. But even Michael Vick, it was awkward to me, even though, I mean, that dude was electric, but I, I, I think Tua might be okay. He's, you know, everybody raves about him. So I, I hope he does well, but no better time to see than now. And let's be honest, their schedule is easy. The schedule's easy. Look, look, look at who they play. They get, they get a really good spot here. Like they get to play. I mean, look at the division they play in. First of all, it's not one that is going to scare you. Um, even New England and Buffalo, Buffalo's defense has played like like ass, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, but they have an easy schedule. So they come off the bye against the Rams. So you have two weeks to prepare for the Rams. Now, yes, it's not ideal to meet Aaron Donald <laughs> in your first NFL start. But they get two weeks to prepare. I'm sure Brian Flores will will be aware of that and make adjustments. Then you go Arizona, 
the Chargers, Denver, the Jets, Cincinnati, Kansas City. None of these teams are like elite defenses where you're like, oh, my God, I'm so worried about what he's going to do. So uh, then he finishes the season with New England, Las Vegas Raiders. Like I think the schedule lines up nicely for him. He's not going to go against Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Tampa and, you know, these – these defenses that are just re- the Colts, these defenses that are really, really good. So uh, I think it, I think it matches. I think the matchups are good. I think he'll get you know good experience, and I think he'll be fine. Calm down, Dolphin fans. You weren't going to win the Super Bowl with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay, let it go. And the analysts, the same thing. All these analysts that say it's not the right time. The only thing I will agree with with what some of them said was the team found out about it like on Instagram and stuff. It would have been nice. Again, we talked about this with Dallas for the coaches to be like, hey, this is the plan. Um, Maybe, you know, at the beginning of the week or I don't think you want to do that before the season because then you kind of say we've given up. But the plan is to get Tua in and and he's going to be our quarterback going forward. And then, you know, releasing that to the the media or whatever, saying, making the announcement. But again, that's not really – that's not their job. Their job is not to make the players happy. Their job is to do what's best for the team. And if that, you know, the only one that had to know that was Ryan Fitzpatrick. The other team teammates aren't really required to know that they're making a quarterback change. Um, as long as they told Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua, then I think it's fine. Um, yeah, man. So that that's just again something that was on my mind. I thought it was an interesting topic of conversation. And good luck to Tua as he gets his first start. Um, I know I need him to do well from a fantasy perspective. So uh, excited to watch him play next week against the Rams. So what I got for you guys right now is I want to talk about the MVP race and then the rookie of the year race before I get into my game picks for the week. Uh, this early MVP race was was interesting. It was like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, uh, Dak Prescott had been playing well but they weren't winning so he was kind of a distant fourth but those three quarterbacks had been kind of the talk of of the MVP race and so after week six we watch well Russell Wilson was on a bye and then you have Aaron Rodgers who got destroyed against Tampa and looked bad like everything he did looked bad and then Josh Allen has lost two straight now uh, after a blowout to Tennessee and then to Kansas City so it, it begged the question to say well are those guys still MVP caliber players? Are they still in the race? Or has there been somebody else that's kind of jumped into the picture? And I've seen a number of different people give their opinions on this. So I want to share mine. And some may agree, some may disagree, but as usual, I don't care. This is my perspective. This is what I've seen after watching the games. Right now, my clear cut <clears throat> MVP is Russell Wilson. And it's for a number of reasons we've talked about before. He was on a bye week, so he he definitely came out a big winner here. But he has a Seahawks team with a very poor defense at 5-0. and He is the ultimate leader, competitor. Um, he, he's, he's just steady, right? He, nothing, he never gets too high, never gets too low. He is a quarterback that I think many people doubted, and he continues to play with this chip on his shoulder like I'm going to prove everybody wrong, even though everybody sees him as an elite quarterback. He's never had an MVP vote. Um, 
I'd argue right now he's better than every quarterback in football, including Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not saying going forward. I'm just saying he's played better than every quarterback in football. And I just think he's very, he's consistent. He's the most consistent player in the league. He doesn't, it's rare he has bad games. Like his bad games are still kind of good. <laughs> I mean, when you look at it at the end of the day, even if he takes a loss, throws over a couple of picks and you look at his numbers, you're like, man, still threw for 300 yards. He had three touchdowns. He did throw two picks, but he ran for another 15, 20 yards. They were in the game and they have a bad defense. Like his bad games are still not terrible. Like a Carson Wentz bad game or something like that. So Russell's my number one, but who comes in now? Like after watching Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers, who I had up there as well, fall off a little bit over the past week or so, who slides into those number two and three slots? And I know I'm going to get shit for this because, because I've, I've been very expressive about these players, but I can admit when I'm wrong. I can admit when I see something different and I'm okay with changing the narrative if it's, if it's factual, right? If, 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 if there's something that's a fact, I'm going to say, yeah, that's a fact. I, I can't argue that, right? So um, I, I deal in facts, and this is what this is what it is. My second favorite for MVP right now, oh, man, I can't even say his name, is Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> it's, it's Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is a good NFL quarterback. I, I don't think he's great. I don't think he's going to go down as a great NFL quarterback. But for this season and what I've seen him do from last season, the end of last season through this season, he's been great for that team. And he's a good NFL quarterback. And right now, he is my second favorite for most valuable player. And my third favorite is on the same team. It's Derrick Henry. And again, I've had my opinions about Derrick Henry. And I thought about putting him above Ryan Tannehill, but the quarterback position is just too important. I don't care how good of a running back you are. If you don't have a quarterback, you have nothing. You will not win in this league. You don't have to have a great quarterback, but you have to have a quarterback that's capable of throwing the football when it needs to be thrown. And there have been quarterbacks that have been average to below average that have won Super Bowls. I've said Joe Flacco's. I've said Trent Dilfer's. I've said Nick Foles. They can have good games. They can have good couple of games. But to go an entire season and look the way the Tennessee Titans are looking, you have to be a good quarterback. That doesn't happen with Nick Foles. Okay? So I know, like, we're going to talk about the Bears uh, when we get to the picks and they're winning. And Just wait. <clears throat> just wait. Ryan Tannehill is a good quarterback. And he's been, that play action game is just so strong. Mike Vrabel's done an amazing job. I have Ryan Tannehill right now. He's 5 and 0. Oh. <clears throat> He's 5 and 0. Oh. Let's be real. You don't go 5 and 0 oh in this league and and can't play. And it's not like they're just winning with the running game. They're not. They're they're winning. Ryan Tannehill is producing. He's throwing the football. They are scoring. I mean, he threw the ball 41 times against Houston. Four touchdowns, one pick. Completed 73% of his passes. I mean, what do you want? What do you want the man to do? You, you can say it's, oh, it's Derrick Henry. 
But the the week before that, they scored 42 points against Buffalo. He was 21-28, almost 200 yards, completed 75% of his passes. Again, three touchdowns. These are that's against Buffalo. That's against a playoff team. Houston was a playoff team last year. I'm not going to give them too much credit for that. Their defense is weak. But these are the types of things we're seeing with, with Tennessee. And it's not just Derrick Henry. We, like They had a bye week before that. Week before that, he threw 37 times, 321 yards. Now, he didn't throw a touchdown in that game, but again, they won the game. He had four carries, nine yards. He's mobile. He doesn't have, and those are games where without A.J. Brown, where he didn't have a, an elite option on the outside. Now you get A.J. Brown back, who's you know their number one guy. It's just 18-24, four touchdowns, no picks, completing 75% of passes against Jacksonville. Like he just gets the job done. So Ryan Tannehill is my number two. Derrick Henry is my number three. And I'm going to throw a name in here that I don't think has been talked about enough. And he's not like lighting up the world, but I'm the team's undefeated. And that's Big Ben. Can, can we give some credit where credit is due? I mean, Antonio Brown leaves this team, talks about Big Ben and his leadership abilities. Come to find out, Antonio Brown's now out of the league. Looks like he wasn't all the way there. And Big Ben takes a team that's average. I mean, they're average without him. Um, Mike Tomlin obviously carried the ship. They're still 8-8, eight and eight, never had a losing record. Great. But you get Big Ben in that lineup now, and they're unbeaten. Same defense. Same defense, same offensive line, same running back. You had Chase Claypool, but for the majority, similar receiving core. The only difference is you take out Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodgins, Hodges, and you put in Big Ben, and they're 5-0. and They look like the best team in the AFC. Now, we'll see. The, the schedule gets tough here. Tennessee... Uh, Baltimore coming up. We'll see what happens there. But I think you have to put Big Ben's name in the hat um, in the MVP race. And I don't think there's really anybody else that's kind of stood out. Um, I think it, I, I think I think Big Ben, Tannehill, and and right now Russell Wilson would be my 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 favorites. Russell Wilson being uh, far ahead of the other two, but um, the other two are, are are the next up. And then I wanted to talk about offensive rookie of the year and. Everybody that knows me knows I didn't like Joe Burrow. Uh, I got a lot of flack from some Bengals fans that I know about Joe Burrow. Shout out Derek, <laughs> um, and he's proven me—he's proven me somewhat wrong. He's had a really good uh, first part of the season. I'm, I'm impressed with the with where he can go from here. I didn't think it would be this good, but he's not my rookie of the year, not my offensive rookie of the year at all. Um, I didn't think that Justin Herbert would be a starter until about week six, until about right now. And fortunately, due to a, a punctured lung and all that stuff with Tyrod Taylor, he got in there a little bit earlier. But Justin Herbert is hands down the rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year for me. He looks good, and I did not like him coming out of college. Like, I thought it'd be like Marcus Mariota, but bigger and stronger with a better arm but still with the same success, none. Um, 
I, I just this this kid looks looks to be um, special. If you look at the teams they've played, <clears throat> and compared to Joe Burrow's teams, the teams Joe Burrow has played, it it's different, right? So they played each other, right? Week one, um, the Chargers won, but Herbert wasn't starting, so I, I'll give them a pass there. But Burrow has played Cleveland, Philadelphia, Jacksonville. And then Indianapolis, um, Jackson, Baltimore, and then Indianapolis. And he was not very good against the good teams. So against Baltimore and Indy, uh, Baltimore, he went 19 to 30, no touchdowns and a pick against Indy he went 25 to 39. So he was completing passes 300 yards, but again, no touchdowns and a pick. And he didn't have that great of a quarterback rating. Uh, they jumped out to an early lead. They, they got the running game going, but he wasn't uh he just wasn't elite against honestly against elite teams, right? So how does that compare to Justin Herbert and his his schedule since he's taken over as the lead guy in you know in 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 Los Angeles? Well, his first game was against the defending Super Bowl champs, right? He goes 22 of 33, throws for 311 yards, one touchdown, one pick. If you watch that game, there were a couple of touchdowns that were just missed. Uh, I think a couple were dropped. But he had a 94 quarterback rating against the Super Bowl champs. His very next game, he goes up against Carolina, who's probably the weakest of the teams that he played against. And he goes 35 of 49, a touchdown and a pick, and again, 88 quarterback rating. Um, Decent game, not great. But then these two is when I really started paying attention. He goes to Tampa, who is considered a Super Bowl favorite. He goes 20 to 25, 290 yards, three touchdowns and a pick with a quarterback rating of 137.9. Then he follows that up and he goes to New Orleans on the road. And he goes 20 of 34, 264 yards, four touchdowns with a quarterback rating of 122.7 and probably should have won the game. Um, now, he hasn't won a game as a starter. So every game he's played has been a loss. But I don't care. Watch him play. The man is special. And this is not Joe Burrow special. This is like next level special. Joe Burrow may be able to be a starter in this league. Maybe I was wrong. Justin Herbert looks like he's going to be an elite quarterback in this league. So he's my favorite for offensive rookie of the year, followed by Joe Burrow. And then um, I wanted to talk about a couple of other guys. C.D. Lamb, James Robinson, and Justin Jefferson are right there. Uh James Robinson is starting to taper off a little bit, but to take over that starting job is impressive. C.D. Lamb is, he's getting a lot of opportunity. I think it's a little bit more um, like just hollow. I I don't know. It's hard to gauge his impact because I think he's benefiting from the offense. I don't know how impactful it actually is, but the numbers are there, so you can't argue with it. Um, I would still like to see a little bit more. Justin Jefferson, I'm really, really impressed with. And I think he's going to be a star. Um, I would probably have Justin Jefferson over CeeDee Lamb at this point. It would probably be Herbert, Burrow, Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, and then James Robinson. So just a couple of thoughts on my Offensive Rookie of the Years. Um, That could change going forward. Who knows? Uh, maybe Joe Burrow will prove me wrong, but Justin Herbert right now has the edge for me, and it's pri- quite a big margin, quite a big margin for me. 
All right, game pick time. Let's finish it up with these game picks. Um, I will give an update on how I'm doing for the season next week. But we got a lot of games to get into and a little bit of time, so I'm going to get through them fairly quickly. Dallas goes to Washington. Washington is favored by one point in this game. I told you last week I will not pick Dallas against a good team. Fortunately, Washington is not a good team. I will take Dallas plus one in this game. I think Andy Dalton bounces back. I think Ezekiel Elliott bounces back. And Washington, I think they went for two because they're trying to lose. Um, I think they might be in the sweepstakes of a Trevor Lawrence. I think they might be in the sweepstakes for a Cam Newton. I think um, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting, but I think Washington's trying to lose. I think Ron Rivera will turn that team around, but it's going to take time. Dallas plus one. Detroit goes to Atlanta. Atlanta's off their first win of the season after changing coaches. Atlanta's favored by two and a half. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to take Detroit plus two and a half. I have a feeling Patricia's going to give the ball to DeAndre Swift some more. I think they're going to be able to throw on Atlanta. Atlanta just finds ways to lose games. I'm not overly impressed. Even with the win against Minnesota, I will take Detroit plus two and a half. Cleveland goes to Cincinnati. Cleveland is favored by three. I will take Cleveland here. I think Baker does what he did earlier in the season against Cincinnati. I think they're able to run the ball. I think they will win this game by more than three. I'll take Cleveland. Carolina goes to New Orleans. Man, New Orleans has struggled. Um, The return of Michael Thomas has me pausing on this one. But it's a division game and seven and a half is a big number. I like Carolina's kind of grit they're in games i'm gonna take i'm gonna take carolina plus seven and a half i think teddy bridgewater gets right this week um finds robbie anderson and dj moore i will i will take new orleans to win the game but i will take carolina plus seven and a half my lock of the week is buffalo against the jets buffalo's favored by two touchdowns or almost two touchdowns 13 and a half i will take buffalo Enough said there. Don't even need to talk about the Jets. I'm still waiting for Adam Gase to be fired. How he still has a job is beyond me. I could coach that team better than he could. Uh, Green Bay goes to Houston. Huge bounce back here. I think Green Bay blows Houston out. Uh, They will win by two plus touchdowns. I take Green Bay minus three and a half. Seattle goes to Arizona. Division game. Um, I think this one's going to be close. I think Kyler Murray puts up a fight. I see a high scoring affair here. I think Arizona covers the three and a half uh, somewhere along the lines of 34, 31. Uh, I think Seattle wins the game, but I think it's close. Kansas city goes to Denver. I also, another division game. I also will take Denver in this one. I think they will keep it close. Their defense looked good against new England. I don't expect the same defensive output against Kansas city, but I also think they'll score a little bit more. Um, I will take Denver plus nine and a half. San Francisco goes to New England. I will take the Patriots minus one and a half. I think Belichick finds a way to neutralize George Kittle to some degree and make Jimmy Garoppolo find other weapons. Um, I will take New England minus one and a half in this one. Jacksonville goes to Los Angeles to face the Chargers. Uh, Justin Herbert, I think, gets the win here, but I think it's going to be close. Jacksonville tends to put up some points. They're going to throw the ball around the field. I will take the Chargers to win the game, but Jacksonville to cover the seven and a half. Tampa or Tampa Bay 
heads to Las Vegas to take on the Raiders. Uh, Raider fans, you have to be happy coming off that win against Kansas City. You are going to be brought back down to earth. I know everybody's talking Super Bowl. You're going to be brought back down to earth. That was a division game. Tampa Bay minus three. I will take Tampa Bay here and that defense the way it's playing. And then Chicago Monday night goes to Los Angeles to face the Rams. The Nick Foles experiment or era or whatever, it will come crumbling down. Mark my words, it will come crumbling down. Nick Foles is not good. Rams win easily in this one. The Bears defense is legit, but I think the Rams find a way to get this one done. Rams minus six. All right. Another week in the books. I want to say thank you guys for listening. Appreciate all the feedback and love. Week seven is upon us. Good luck to all your teams. My Cowboys might as well just suck. We said it last week. If we're going to suck, let's suck. And we did on Monday night. So who knows? Maybe we'll lose to Washington too. Um, Until next time, again, follow us on Instagram. It's sideline to sideline underscore podcast. Uh, You can follow my Facebook page, Aaron Mugs, or sideline to sideline. Um, On Twitter, it's at S2 podcast. And then again, we're streamed everywhere. You can find us in the iTunes store, um, Spotify, Uh, Yeah, follow, enjoy the show, download it, listen, give us feedback. Eventually, we'll go live with this thing one of these days. Uh, Maybe do a little Facebook Live or Instagram Live, and we can interact a little bit if you guys are up for that. Also, new show on Sunday mornings, The Lineup Setters. Follow us. Um, It's me and my uh, co-host, Justin Henry. We set all your fantasy lineups for the week. We do a DraftKings challenge. A lot of fun. We get your lineup set. We take live questions on the air. It's on Twitch TV. It's at the Chris Landry Network, or you can just search up lineup setters. Um, And again, our previous episodes are also available on Spotify under the lineup setters. So a lot going on. Uh, Again, appreciate all the love until week eight. Good luck to everybody's teams this week. Peace out.